Good morning. As I was sitting on the couch this morning, I, a morning ritual for me, sitting on the couch and enjoying uh, the sounds outside, I always try to open the door um, so I can hear the birds and everybody singing to me. Um, I was observing the rain, and I was just so thankful for the the, the rain coming down so intense at times and, and imagining you know, the, the parched earth just drinking deeply of the rain that it's been given. And I, I was excited to be able to come into church and to look into the Word today um, because my experience has always been that as we drink deeply from the water of life that we find in the Word of God, our parched hearts, sometimes we don't even realize how much we need it. We can drink deeply from that water. So I'm so grateful. I was, I'm excited for today. Um, many of you know I've been, for the last year, almost a year and a half, I've been going through the book of Revelation, and we've now concluded that. And so I'm on to uh, another uh, portion of Scripture that I would like to look at. But before I talk about that, I want to just maybe turn our minds towards tradition. Um, and to think about tradition, this is not a, a message about tradition, but uh, traditions are all about us, right? And we know about traditions. We, we're steeped in tradition at times. Uh, in our church family, we have some very rich uh, traditions. And um, sometimes we're, we're in a bit of angst about traditions, you know, what should we do and what shouldn't we do and so on and so forth. But l- traditions are great, I think. And, and the scripture speaks to that and says that, uh, you know, these are they're good traditions that we should uphold. And, and some not so good that we need to get rid of. Um, but in, in my own life, I love tradition. I love the traditions of, of, of celebrations of passage of time in the year and, and passage of time in the life of a person. I really like the idea of the bar mitzvah, you know, where the young Jewish boy at a certain age, uh, you know, he goes through these ceremonies and uh, that really speaks to me. I love that idea of, of recognizing and, uh, the passage and, and, you know, a young boy becoming a, closer to becoming a man and so on. And I, I try to reflect that uh, when I was raising my boys um, to observe different stages of life. I love traditions for that. Uh, I, I need traditions because it helps me to be efficient. Um, if any of you have been in my camping trips with the Sunday school, you'll know that the first one was probably really, really close in, in order to the last one. And I have my traditions that I have to do because I'm not terribly creative at times, and so I need to just, you know, these reminders, this pattern of things to do. So traditions, I love them. Um, I need them. Uh, and sometimes, though, uh, it's not just for efficiency, but some traditions, and this is a really powerful part of tradition, some traditions spur us on to remember because we forget. And oftentimes, and, and I think the re- most significant traditions that we ha- have um, are the traditions that point us back to remember something. And, and so the, uh, the texts that I want to cover now in the next uh, few weeks or months are called the Egyptian halal. And halal is the word for praise. So we have the Egyptian praise. And these are the uh, psalms covered by one, Psalm 113 all the way through to Psalm 118. And these six verse, or, uh, chapters, these six psalms, are traditionally presented uh, or sung, recited by the children of Israel. Um, and... Uh, these uh, speak of praise to God, boasting. Um, they're called the Egyptian halal because uh, Psalm 114 specifically addresses the exodus from, the, um, from Egypt. So that's why they would call it the Egyptian halal. 
But this is a group of, of psalms that um, were made, not made, they praise God. And the reason they, they put these together and they recite these, um, they recite them at Passover. They recite them at uh, the Festival of Weeks and Tabernacles, uh, Dedication, the New Moon. So this is a very common grouping of psalms that is traditionally uh, recited by the children of Israel. Um, and so they need to remember God and, and the wisdom of the leaders. Uh, they put these together in a sense, or they recall these because it speaks of something that they are not to forget. Specifically, and most importantly, or most commonly, the Passover. In the Passover, and now I don't, I'm sure most of you are familiar with the Passover, and um, the and, but I'll give you a very short version of it if you're not familiar with it or perhaps you may be cloudy on some of the details. But when the children of Israel, um, during the, uh, a time of great uh, f- famine in the land, uh, under uh, Joseph, the children of Israel were all moved into Egypt because Egypt, by God's providence, was very successful in, in uh, having supplies and so on. And so they were almost immune from the famine. And so Joseph brought his people into Egypt, um, uh, his father's household, so Jacob, who became Israel. So now the children of Israel are in Egypt, and Pharaoh uh, looked very favorably upon them, gave him a big chunk of land, and says, this is where you are, you, you know, you're special, you're Joseph's kin, and so you're going to live here. Well, oh, you know, many hundreds of years later, 400 years later, they fell into disfavor because the Pharaohs changed, and they, they forgot Joseph and his impact and how significant his leadership was. And, and so then they became uh, in disfavor with uh, the Pharaoh of the time. And so then the Pharaoh sees this massive amount of people who God has blessed. And he says, hey, I got an idea. Um, free labor. And so he, he puts them into slavery. And so here you have now the children of Israel in Egypt who are slaves. And uh, they're building the great temples and the statues and all these sort of things for the vanity of the Pharaoh's. Well, God hears the cry of this people because it was severe. And uh, they cried out to God, you know, in their, their suffering. And God heard their cries. And so he brought, uh, raised up a leader named Moses. And after he um, uh, prepared Moses, Moses went to Egypt and he told Pharaoh, let my people go. And what followed after that was a series of plagues uh, that progressively uh, devastated the the Egyptian economy. And uh, the last plague that came along was the most severe. And the, the last plague was that God would send the destroyer into all of the households of, uh, in Egypt that were not marked by the blood of the lamb. And part of the, the process uh, of, of being spared from the judgment of the destroyer was that they, the, and it was instituted that they were to have a feast. They were to kill a lamb, and they were to take some of the blood of this lamb, and they were to mark the doors, the doorposts and the top, the lintel. And that would signify to the destroyer that this house is one of the children of God. In here are the protected ones. And uh, from this, this evening... When the destroyer would go through and destroyed all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, uh, except for those who were uh, covered by the blood of the lamb, in a sense, 
From this evening came the Passover feast. And God had told them that you need to prepare a feast. Now, this can be a special feast, though. First of all, there's to be a lamb that was slain, and that blood would then cover. There was going to be, um, you don't have time. This is an urgent thing. You're going to actually be fully dressed for uh, travel. So you're going to be have all of your traveling garments on. You're not going to have time for your dough to rise, the yeast to rise. So you're going to have unleavened bread. And I want you to also eat uh, bitter herbs. And so this became uh, the, the meal of the evening. And God says in uh, Exodus chapter 14, this was not just something to be done that night, but this is something now that I want you to do in remembrance of this. Exodus chapter 14 Starting at verse 24 says, And ye shall observe the things, this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. This is a tradition in the start, and the reason is you are to, um, it's an ordinance for thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when you be come to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. Even when you have reached the promised land, I give you your homeland, still I want you to continue to do this. And it shall come to pass when your children say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. So God was telling them that evening already. Moses was recounting this to the leaders of, of, of um, Israel. This is going to be something that we do first tonight and for every year following. And it's something we need to do. It's something we need to remember. God's deliverance of the children of Israel. We cannot forget this, men and women. We need to remember this. And when the time comes, and we all know going through the Old Testament, how often and how quickly people forgot. But when it says here, when your children say unto you, like, what are we doing here? Why are we doing this? You need to recount to them what happened on this night. You need to recount to them that even in the lowest, uh, the, in the, the most time of, time of most oppression, that God delivered you. That was a message that they had to remember. And so from this tradition, from this Passover feast, um, we, they would then regularly, part of the Passover celebration was that they would read the Egyptian Halal, which is Psalm 113 to 118. And in fact, in Matthew 26, verse 30, it says that when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Remember, they were having the Passover feast at that time. Psalm 118 would have been that hymn that they sang. But we also know that uh, the Passover has now been changed for us. When Jesus came, that last Passover feast, um, and we always recount this uh, when we have communion. It says that on that night, when they were breaking bread and so on, that Jesus said, you know, take, drink of this cup and, and uh, eat this bread and do so in remembrance of me. And so instead it wasn't anymore the remembrance of the, the exodus from Egypt and the deliverance, but it was to be this new celebration this new Passover feast, if you will, which says that this is the moment, not just a foreshadowing of the children of Israel coming out, which was really pointing to the ultimate deliverance, which is us, God's creation, his children being delivered from sin. 
That's the ultimate uh, deliverance that we are to be celebrating. And so the communion service that we have is not just the thing that we do on baptisms. It is actually, in a sense, that Passover feast that Jesus would have observed. And the same traditions that they had as far as remembering, um, we need to do that as well. Not that we have to recite the uh, Psalm 113 to 118, but that we have to, in our minds, always remember the deliverance that we have received. Not from the bondage of slavery to Egypt and the pharaohs, but from the bondage of slavery to sin. And so we have um, this new Passover, which is uh, the communion service that we would have. And so here we have within the scriptures this uh, tradition. And uh, this tradition that points people back. You need to remember and that's one of the, the whole points of communion as well. Do so in remembrance of me. Don't forget. When, when, when you're going about your regular lives, and this is not something maybe that we would uh, typically, uh, you know, forefront in our minds, um, we need to remember the deliverance that we've had. And that's what this tradition's about. And when I first heard about uh, the Egyptian halal, and there's others as well. There's the great halal and, and the final halal. Um, it really spoke to me because I love this. This whole idea of this tradition. And in fact, the whole Passover feast, um, as it was, is observed by the Jewish uh, people, is really, really fascinating. I'd love to go over that one time. I don't want to go over it today. But uh, it's fascinating how they do this. Um, how each person has a part. You know, after the, they, they drink the first glass of wine, which uh, represents uh, something. And then they'd have a, uh, another little bits of washing and so on, an appetizer. And then they would sing the first two psalms, Psalm 113, Psalm 114. Then they would have the second glass of wine. Then they'd have the meal. But while they're having the meal, you know, the children have a part. They ask the questions. And, and so then the, the, the person who would be leading, they would, they would tell the answers. It was very intentional that every year, minimum once every year at the Passover... This would always be recounted. And it was a part of their children's lives. And it, just as a side note, it would be good for us to also incorporate these sort of things into the, our family lives. Is something that reminds us. Now, I, I haven't thought, it's just a thought that came to me that, you know, this is something that we ought to do. And, and I, I, I want to look at my life as well. And, and Brenda and I think of our sons and, and our uh, you know, family to come and so on. And to think about... How are we turning our hearts, the hearts of our children, to God? To remember. In the times, and you know, these are the times that are, are uh, difficult for some of us uh, to understand, wrap our heads around. Are we remembering? Or are we just focusing on what's in front of us? So, I would just like to look now today at uh, Psalm 113. Uh, so if you would turn with me to Psalm 113, we'll go through the psalm then. So God willing, uh, I would like to go through each of the Psalms on a separate occasion, um, if we can do so well within the time limits that we have. So let's turn to Psalm 113, and we'll read the entire Psalm now. It's only nine verses. Psalm 113, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. 
from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high? Who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heavens and in the earth? He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house, and to be a joyful mother of children." Praise ye the Lord. So this psalm is broken up into three sets of three verses. The first uh, set of three verses, up to verse three, is a call for us to praise. It's calling us out. Praise him. And it tells us how to praise him. And then the second set of verses, the second uh, triplet would be, it's a, uh, a call or tells us why to praise him. To praise him because he is exalted above all the earth. And then finally, the third three verses is, uh, a call, tells us to praise him because he exalts the lowly. So let's talk about this oh, praise, the halal, the word halal. Um, it's not uncommon to us, although when we separate it, it perhaps is uncommon. But every one of us is saying hallelujah, which is praise the Lord. Halal means to praise. Um, so what does praise mean? Praise is uh, a commendation bestowed on a person for his personal virtues or worthy actions on meritorious actions themselves. So this is a commendation. When we praise somebody, we're commending them. We're com- uh, uh, bestowing on a person his... Um, personal virtues or his worthy actions. So the the neat distinction about praise is praise is not just saying praise, praise God. And and then sometimes in in modern worship, you know, uh, it's almost like the album is skipping. Praise, praise, praise. And it's like, okay, praise him for what? It's not just about praise. Don't just say praise. It's empty. Praise him for what? Because God has done wondrous things and we need to praise him for. Um, it says, I, part of the definition is a commendation. Commendation is um, basically saying, represents as worthy or uh, worthy of, of notice, regard, or kindness. So we're, by praising him, what we're doing is we're, we're putting out to people why he is who he is, or why he is worthy of commendation, um, uh, worthy of notice, worthy of regard, of regard. Another way of saying that would be uh, to brag, right? We often hear the word brag, and we think of people who brag about themselves. But how about bragging uh, on God, bragging on the God-man if you dare, only if you dare to brag on him. That would be sweet if we would all do that more. If we would brag on God, instead of bragging on ourselves, instead of wanting to be heard, instead of wanting to praise ourselves and saying, you know, look at me, saying instead, look at God, look at what he's done. Isn't he worthy of praise and of our, our, our um, desire and, and adulation, adoration? So praise is so much more than just saying praise. Praise is that bragging on God. So the first verse says, praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants. So who are the servants? This is, you servants, we need to praise God, it's calling us. And that's the worshipers of God. Do you want to worship God? Then we need to praise Him. 
It's not just uh, the, the mechanics of worship, uh, you know, the singing or, or the, the actions, but it's, it's the uh, putting God up there, bragging on God in a sense. Um, o ye servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. And this is a distinction because it says oftentimes, and it's talking about the name of the Lord. And I, I want to just unwrap that a little bit because that's very significant. So a name reveals character. Um, let's turn to uh, Exodus chapter 3. Because here we see the name of God spoken of. Exodus chapter 3 verses 14 and 15. And God said unto Moses, so remember the picture, the, the scene here is God, or uh, Moses is going uh, up into the mountain, he's looking for the sheep, uh, he's up there, and all of a sudden he sees this bush that's burning in front of him, and you know he's all uh, confused by it, and he's trying to figure it out, and God confronts him and says, stop, the place where you are is holy ground. He has this conversation with uh, Moses about this, and, and in chapter, verse 14, he says, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. He said, thou shalt... Thus shalt thou say. So Moses had said, okay, I'm going to go back to Egypt. I'm going to you know, talk to Pharaoh, which is in his mind almost like suicide. And uh, what am I going to say? You know, who am I going to tell them that sent me? Right? And he says, this is who uh, you tell them sent you. I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. So this idea that I am, it's an odd kind of statement, right? Like I am, like that's a kind of a weird name. But I am really means to be. And so when we start unpacking, what does it mean to be? Um, God says, I am, I, I exist, I, I am everywhere, I am in everything, I am, will be present with you. When you're going in front of Pharaoh, I am sent you, which means that I, myself, I will be there with you. His name was his person, his character, his authority, his power, his reputation, this name encapsulated all of those things. And if we look at the, the verses there that it says, uh, he, he goes on, he says, I am that I am has sent you. And he says, look, this is who I am. I'm the God of Abraham. Uh, I'm the God of uh, Isaac and the God of Jacob. I am also uh, the warrior. Uh, I believe it's um, Exodus 15, chapter 3 says, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. This is just after the children of Israel had gone through the sea. And uh, the Egyptians were in the midst and the sea closed over them. And God decisively uh, won the battle for the Egyptians and brought them to safety on the other side. And at that time, the first halal, the first praise uh, of the children of Israel was sung. And this is one of the things they said. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. They didn't just say, oh, we're really, really thankful. But they pointed out, why are we thankful? Because God is our warrior. He's the one who's fighting for us. And we see that all through Scripture. Um, if we look back in... Earlier in the chapter of Exodus 3... I can't, I can't find it right now. When, you, when you're trying to find something quickly, uh, it's really hard. I always find this. But anyways, I know what it says. It says, I am the one who delivers you. See, it's always attached to what he has done. It's never just, just worship me. 
Because. It's worshipped me because of who I am, what I have done. And if you look through the Old Testament and the praise, especially in the Psalms, it's always recounting who God is. Why is he worthy to be praised in the first place? And this is what this uh, first verse is saying. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the one who is our deliverer. Praise the one who is everything and in everything and is, is the essence of, of being. Verse 2 says, blessed be the name of the Lord. So again, this praise God, um, um, adore on bended knee. That's more what that is, is uh uh, pointing to is that adoration, but on, and in the posture of of um, uh, submission to Him. So, blessed be the name of the Lord for His from this time forth and forevermore. So, this is important because think about the children of Israel, right? At the very t- moment when they were having the uh, the Passover, it would have been very very important to them that God is the warrior, that God is on their side, He is their deliverer, and so on, right? Well, what about when they're in the land of Israel, and, and perhaps they, they've amassed a great amount, you know, after all these battles, and they have all the spoil, and there's gold everywhere, and so on. Is, at that time, are they going to be as dependent on God? At that time, is, is God the deliverer going to be as important to them? Is it going to stand out as much to them? Or, or God, uh, you know, in, in other assets or uh, facets, the warrior, you know, because David, he's a really kicking king and he's, he's got everybody, right? He's defeating everybody. And, and so maybe, you know, we don't really look at God. It's not so significant now that he's uh, our warrior. And, and I think about the common time now that we live in, how many people um, really praise God for his deliverance from poverty, or deliverance, uh, for, or, or the giver of, of, of all of the things of life, the, the food that we have. You know, we, we probably all pray before our meals and we thank God for the food. But how many of us are really kind of saying, oh, you know, I had a little bit of that hand in that. You know, I worked pretty hard for that. You know, I'm, I've got the green thumb and those tomatoes, they really grew well this year under my tutelage. Always, we have to always look back to God. We have to always look back to the one who provides all things. And never let our current circumstances overwhelm us or put us in a place of complacency. From this time forth and forevermore, it never ends. And that's why this halal, this praise, is something that was not, should not be just restricted to the Jews um, during Passover and the other feasts. This is something that we need to be also reciting, give, telling our children. It says in verse 3, From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Now, so this is not uh, putting, this is not an uh, allocation of time. This is not saying from, you know, uh, let's say 6 in the morning till 6.30 at night. Sun's up, sun's down. Praise him. And then the rest of the time it's you. You can do whatever you like. This is sunrises in the east. So from the east to the going down of the same, it sets in the west. There's another way of saying from the east to the west, you need to praise him. And so I just imagine this, children. Okay, I want you to picture this in your mind. You're going to start praising him today. And I want you to walk due east. I think that's that way there. Start walking due east. And when you come to the end, 
That's when you can stop praising God. When you've walked due east, and when you can't walk anymore, you get in a boat and you go across the Atlantic Ocean. And then you, you, you land on the shores of, of um, I'm not sure exactly where, England? Let's say you land in England and you, you have some tea and crumpets and you carry on. And you're praising God this whole time. And then you cross over the Mediterranean areas. And then into Asia. And then into uh, uh, the Russian areas and, and so on and so forth. And then finally you come back to, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, that part of, of uh, I can't remember what it's called. The, the Bering Strait, I, I think it is. Where you have to cross over back into uh, Canada or into Alaska at that time. You come back down and you just keep going east. Just keep going east. And when you come to the end, that's when you can stop praising God. That's what this is saying. You don't ever stop praising God. It's not like you, you have to stop when you, uh, at a certain time of the day, forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the setting. In all places too. Because you can go east and you will hit every part of the earth. You can go west and you can hit every part of the earth. It's amazing. And that's speaking to where we worship God. There is no limit. It's not just here in this church. It's not just in uh, so-called Christian North America, the West, but it's, it's in the, uh, the Muslim nations and the communist nations and the godless nations and the every nation, every location. So this is the call for us to praise him. Um, who? His servants, the worshipers of God. What are we to praise? The name of the Lord, who he is. What he has done. We are need, to, we need to brag on him and to always be reciting these sort of things, especially to our children. We need to always be turning the hearts of our young ones back into the Old Testament and saying, look at what God has done. We need to, uh, celebrate or adore him on bended knee. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forward, always and in all places. The Lord's name is to be praised. Hallelujah. So, verse 4 now starts, we praise him because he's exalted. It says here in verse 4, The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. So where is the jurisdiction of God? Everywhere. He is sovereign over all nations. There is no political system, there is no leader, there is no organization of men, women, of anything that he is not sovereign over. Not just geopolitical. This building here. There's no organization within this building of of a group of men or women that is outside of the authority of God. He is Lord over all nations. All the earth. The, The workings of all men are under God. He is above them all. And his glory is above all the heavens. See, this was really pointed out to the Egyptians. Because... At first, they always started, uh, you know, as Moses would turn the Nile into blood, uh, they would say, oh yeah, we can do that too. Bam, they did it. And then the next thing, and then they would always seem to match what he's doing. Eventually, it got to a point, though, where their uh, dark arts couldn't do it anymore, and they were confounded. And then eventually, it got to the point, too, where even Pharaoh himself, who would be uh, esteemed as being divine, was crushed. God is high above all nations. And above all the earth, the very nature, the very physical world, God controls. And he showed that so um, exquisitely with the children of Israel in Egypt. And, and think of all of the plagues that happened. 
and they were all a, a control of nature. And even the Red Sea, the, the, uh, the River Jordan, when God parted them so that his children can go through. I want my kids to go through there. Part the seas. So he's in control of all things. This is why we have to praise him. And this is so important for us today. Because so many times we come against, we're so frail and we're so fragile and, and human. And there's so many things that are before us that are, are testing us and saying, you can't do that. And he says, oh yes I can. I can't, you're right. I of myself, I cannot do it. But my God is above all nations and above all the universe. And he can. The question in verse 5 says, Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? If, if, if we had to, who? Okay, you, you, don't doubt, you don't believe me? You don't think that God's above all nations? Who now put any of your, your, your heroes, any of your champions up against God? Pharaoh, completely devastated. Nero, uh, uh, Hitler, uh, all of the leaders. Do, do you think that Trudeau is, is a match for God? Absolutely not. Doug Ford? No. None of them are a match for God. The question is almost a rhetorical question. Who? Who do you think is going to be above my God? And finally, verse 6 Speaking of the, the exaltation or the exalted God, it says, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. This is not a humbling like we would perhaps think, um, but this is a humbling, it's, it, the better translation perhaps would be to stoop down. Almost to paint this picture that God is so above the, the things of this earth that he has to actually get down almost on his hands and knees and look at this little punny earth. This is who God is. That he has to stoop down to look at us. We're so overwhelmed. You know, I can't see the forest through the trees because I'm just always so overwhelmed with these things. God is so above that. None of this stuff ever takes him by surprise. It's so beneath him. The whole point of these three verses is to say this is who God is. Do you think that anything is above him? Do you think that anything is out of his control? And this is something that we really need to internalize today. Do you think that anything, though the nations rage and, and, and you know, the heathens, I can't remember the rest of that verse, uh, imagine a vain thing, I think it is. Do you think that any of that is a challenge for God? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And we need to internalize that though, because we are fearful at times. You know, and that's why I think the scripture says that fear is a sin. Not fear of like a truck's bearing down on me, I gotta jump out of the way. No, but fear where I'm undone, where I'm so worried and I, I have no strength in me anymore, no more hope. That fear is sinful. Because it totally negates who God is. God, I don't think you have this one. You know, I think this one's out of your grasp. I don't think you, know, you can handle this pandemic. I'm fearful. I don't think you can handle you know, the political unrest that's rocking the nations. This is a way, way too much for you to handle. And God says, are you kidding me? This is too much for me? I'm above all of these things. In fact, I have to stoop down to look at this little tiny earth. We need to have that picture here. But then, really, really important are the next three verses too. Because you have that picture, right? And a lot of people would say, ooh, God is like way up there and so unachievable, so unattainable. He's so above me that he's also aloof. 
And we need to get rid of that. Because if we have that disconnect in our minds that God is up here, He's so holy and so righteous and so unachievable, and, and what would He think of me? He, you know, why would He want to, to worry about little old me? You know, He has to stoop down. To see me, He has to stoop down even further. But these next three verses show us what the real heart of God is. This one who is so transcendent and exalted above all things cares so desperately for the poor and for those who are downtrodden. Let's look at the next few verses here. Well, first of all, I'm going to read some scriptures here um, uh, that speak to the heart of God. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 2, it says, The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. We're all the same. We're all made by God. For he shall, Psalm 72, verse 12, 13, and 14. He shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy. He shall save the souls of the needy. Do you start to see the pattern here? He, he's very concerned about who the needy, what the needy are going through. He shall redeem their souls from deceit and violence, and precious shall their blood be in his sight. God, exalted, is very concerned about who we are. And it says in verse 7 of Psalm 113, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. Now this is almost a, a direct uh, quote out of First Samuel uh, chapter 2, where Hannah, the, uh, the mother of Samuel, was barren. And so she was pleading for God to have a child because this was a, a very big stigma against uh, for the ladies in this time. And God gave her a child. And so this she says in 1 Samuel 2 verse 8, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill. Almost word for word. And set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. So we see here that these two verses, almost a direct uh, uh, copying of the prayer from Hannah, the prayer of thanksgiving. And, and But when in this, we see the heart of God. And this is really, really important. You know, think about uh, people who are really uh, important, right? How often do you see a really important person going out on the streets and, and, you know, picking up the homeless guy, saying, hey, you know, let, let me help you and give him some water or something like that, right? Not often. We've got too much to prove. We've got so many things to prove, like... I don't want to sully myself. If somebody were to come in here right now, uh, you know, and visibly uh, uh, homeless or, or just like a derelict of society, how many of us would run back there for him? Or how many of us would just kind of like, ooh, look around and, and hope that somebody else is going to go? I know that somebody else is going to go because they're better at this sort of thing than me. We don't want to be near poor people and, and ugly people and, and people who are unlovable. God has nothing to prove, though. God has nothing to prove. He doesn't have to prove himself to anybody. And so his true heart comes out and we see his true heart is for his creation that is poor and is, is destitute and is broken. And we see that in the ministry of Jesus when he came. What's the first thing he said in his public ministry? He quoted Psalm 65. I have come to bind up the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to, and so on and so forth, and addressing the poor. That's the heart of God. And that's what we really, really need to, to understand because as much as we want to tell ourselves that we're all that, we're not all that. We may have the trimmings and trappings of success, but in our hearts we are just as pathetic and destitute as the guy who's on the street. The only difference is some of our decisions are less visible, how depraved they are, and the consequences. Maybe we've dodged that bullet in a sense. 
God wants his people to be dignified. He wants to give them dignity. We see in these 7 and 8, dignity is true honor, a nobleness or an elevation of mind. I don't want you to be depressed. I don't want you to suffer thinking that you are so much less. You are my child. And I want you to live as a son of a king. And I want to lift you up from the, the, the slime and the place where the world has jammed you down into. You are my child, and I want you to have dignity, and I'm going to lift you up and set you with princes, even the princes of this people. He's going to elevate us, the elevation of mind, um, honorable place or rank of elevation. In his estimation, not in the estimation of the world. And so we say, well, there's a lot of poor people who die, and they're, they're believers and so on. But in God's kingdom, they are important. They have dignity, and they know it too. They know that I'm the son of the true God. And, and that even though this in my flesh, uh, you know, I'm going to suffer here. When I get to heaven, I'm going to look on the face of my Savior. And oh, joy that will be when I see my God. And the angels will rejoice when they see the saint come home. That's what he wants for his people. This God above all things, exalted above all things, wants his children to be exalted and to have dignity. And finally, in the last verse, he maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord, it says. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. And he ends on this. And, and he wants his people to have significance too. See, in this time, uh, uh, when this would have been written, the stigma around barrenness for a woman was just so unbearable. Because... The prevailing feeling or the, the prevailing teaching or the, the stigma would be that as a woman, if you don't bear children, what use are you? You're pathetically unuseful to anybody. And you see that reflected in the stories. When, when the, the women were just like, oh, yearning and longing for a child. It was significant to them. And they wanted to be significant as well by passing on the heritage of godly, uh, the, the godly, um, the godly heritage that they had. And so they, oh, they longed for it. Hannah longed for it. And what's so interesting, Hannah longed for a child and as soon as the child was weaned, she gave him to the temple. Samuel then lived in the temple. It's not that she had this, this idea that I want to have my son and, or, you know, there beside me and, and show him off. No! I just want to be significant. And God wants us to feel significant too. He never wants us to live in a, in a, a narrative that says, I'm so useless. I'm so pointless. Everybody around me is just so successful. And here I am. The God of the universe, who's exalted above all things. And I, I, we could talk about this for 20 years and still not fully grasp who God is and how exalted he is. But let's try. But this God, who's exalted above all, longs for that deep fellowship and intimacy with us. Men and women, we need to change the narrative of our time. The narrative of our time is we put a lot of emphasis on professionals, a lot of people, uh, emphasis on, on education, and, and we say, you know, look at these people. These people know this person's successful. They're uh, wealthy, perhaps. And so we look at them and we say, what do you say? Tell me what I need to do. The Egyptian halal says, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Don't look around. Look to the word. Don't look at the professionals. Look to God. Praise God. Understand who he is. Because he is the one who is our deliverer. Hallelujah. Amen.